Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Love Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show featuring Jason Zuck. Jason has been an intuitive psychic medium since 2004. This show will cover a variety of topics relating to spirituality, mediumship, self-improvement, and intuitive guidance. Whatever interests you, remember that we are all here to share and learn. Sit back and get ready to socialize with the social psychic. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. Thank you for joining us tonight. Our guest tonight is Catherine McIntyre. Catherine's a natural psychic and clairvoyant, an astrologer, an occasional ghost investigator, a UFO experiencer, an avid genealogist. She has strong ties to the Concord, Massachusetts area. She's a a self-styled author of two very unique memoirs, Honoring Concord, Seeking Spirit in Literary Concord, 2008, and The Thoreau Whisperer, Channeling the Spirit of Henry David Thoreau, 2018. I'm excited to have Catherine join us on the air. Catherine, welcome to our show. Thanks very much. I'm happy to be here. Catherine, one of the things I... uh, I know I shared with you off air, but maybe I didn't. Um, one of, you know, when you go through high school and you have all these different books you read in your English classes over the years, one mm-hmm. of my favorite ones was Thoreau. Uh, just Great. studying him and learning about transcendentalism. And uh, it's exciting that I can have you on the show to discuss your experience um, with the Thoreau Whisperer and the fact that as a talented, psychic, and clairvoyant, and medium, that you've been able to utilize your gift in such a unique way, where you're able to create this incredible book telling a special relationship that you've developed with Henry David Thoreau. Yeah. Before we, before we get into that right now, I wanted to get into your background a little bit. I know okay. you're in Massachusetts, and yeah. um, you, you've been involved with the Thoreau Society for some time. Is that correct? Yes. Can you tell us uh, a little about how you got involved in that particular um, organization? Well, um, I'm trying to think. Of it. I think it's been at least 15, if not 20 years now, but I um, I would go back to saying, you know, when I, why did I come here from Michigan, and I... I was drawn here from the time I was about 12. I just, you know, I knew I needed to come here. The strongest pull was in Concord, but when I was younger, I wanted to be in Cambridge. So I lived there for like 15 years um, before I began to sort of gradually make my way out out this way. But I think that the um, the connection with Thoreau and the desire to join the Thoreau Society just sort of came about like what do I need to do to – um, find a place where I can put my enthusiasm and interest and excitement about Thoreau to work that isn't going to be hopefully an academic setting because I really didn't don't like the academic settings and don't you know I really didn't want to go and be that so I found the Thoreau Society and and there's always a 
there's a large academic influence in the society. There has been all along, but there's also another side to it. So it was a place to go where you could go to events and and take part in everybody's enthusiasm and excitement about this guy without doing it through grad school or doing it through, you know, in that kind of setting. So that would be what pulled me in from the beginning. Um, okay. Now, I'm looking at your book, and under your author's note, you had indicated that the original title of this book was supposed to be Thoreau's Why Silence. Yes. And I know it, you changed that title to the Thoreau Whisperer. Yeah. And I wanted you to just share with our audience exactly what caused that title of your book to change. Well, <laughs> you know, when I when I published the first book, I called it Honor in Concord. It was originally to me it was going to be called Honoring Concord because that was really what I was doing um with you know the images that I was picking up and recording and it was just to me it was a way to honor my excitement for the the literary history and all of that. And then it became honor and conquered because I more and more began to understand the principles of transcendentalism, and which is fundamentally a, the ability to honor yourself and your own ability to connect and and you know gain your own guidance directly from the divine and all of that. So the honor and conquered became honoring your own ability to do that. Um, that was fitting to me, and I liked that title. They never liked it. There was always this, like I published that in the midst of the years when um, the channeling was going on, and they were all you know, very negative. When I say they, I'm talking about what I call my spirit posse, which would be uh, Thoreau amongst them, so my guides. And um, and there was always this sense of, you know, that's not a good title. That's not a saleable title. So then we proceeded on, and and in the early days of the channeling, I was I was um, connecting, and I was drawn to the title um, Thoreau's Wise Silence, which is based on a quote from Emerson, where he talks about. I can't reel it off, but I can read it. Um, where he talks about. We live in succession, this is Emerson now, we live in succession, in division, in parts, in particles. Meantime, within man is the soul of the whole, the wise silence, the universal beauty to which every part and particle is equally related, the eternal one. So the title, the Thoreau's Wise Silence, was reference to this is Thoreau's vision of that inner silence, that how to connect to that place and that. So to me, that was a really rich and wonderful title. As the years went by and as I worked on the book and tried to market it and tried to find traditional publishers and did all that, that just a lot of time went by and I began to get this sort of constant banter of maybe you should change the title. Let's change the title. Let's make it more marketable. <laughs> so eventually I gave in and I came up with that title. So... I felt like, well, there you go. That's the best I can do. And they seemed to be pleased with it. So, But I had to put I, a I comment love... in the book to explain the title that I wanted, which was, you know, Throws Away Silence. So. Well, I think you explained in your book, too, that you wanted you first heard of the term whisperer when you dealt with Robert Redford's movie, The Horse Whisperer. Yes. And then you thought of The Ghost Whisperer, which is the yeah. show back several years. I, like I love it. that I show. I yeah, well, I mean, it's a very well-used term these days. Everybody's whispering something, and, and it's a way for everybody to know immediately what the book is about. And so I went with it. Absolutely. How – can you share with us your first experience with Walden Pond? My first experience with Walden? Hmm. Wow. Um <laughs> That had to be, I mean, really my first experience would have been when I first came out here years ago, um, just, you know, riding by it with a roommate, you know, because I had moved out in, I, I grew up in Michigan and I left when I graduated from Michigan State and came out here and I had roommates the first few years and I remember driving by one day and having her go, that, you know, that's Walden and kind of like looking over and going, oh, interesting, <laughs> you know, and then in a few months, um, I think, you know, just like two months went by, and I was out there um, having a reading 
by this guy who I met at. He was teaching a class at Cambridge Adult Ed, and it was, I think, a pass-life regression class. I talk about this in the book. And um, and I ended up going out and having a reading with him at a house that was very near Walden. So those are like my first memories around Walden Pond for me is just sort of passing by, getting this sense of it, not really connecting to it that well until, you know, going out there and having that reading in that. And then I began to sense this a little more of a pull there. So I see. I wanted to ask you a little about channeling uh, and automatic writing. I've actually experienced yeah. that myself uh, in the past. And um, we all have our own journey and our own unique understanding of our, uh, of, of what we pick up on, on occasion. And sometimes with this kind of stuff, and when I say this kind of stuff, I mean things that can't be explained through mm-hmm. scientific evidence, at least not yet, because the technology doesn't exist yet. We're not there yet. I think someday we will be. That's the opinion I express on this show. Someday yeah. we're going to have technology that can, you know, uh, basically detect what I believe intuitive people can pick up and mediums and all the, all the like. And I will tell you, from my experience with channeling, I've utilized that in the past with missing people who have um, been deceased for some time. Uh, mm-hmm. without expecting to. Uh, from my vantage point, I was typing an email to a coworker years ago, and next thing you know, someone who, who went missing pops into the email, and I started having yeah. automatic writing occur that I yeah. let flow and, and later on edited it and looked at it and said, wow, this is unique. My question yeah. to you is, since I've experienced that, from probably most members of the audience listening to this may not have experienced it, I wanted to mm-hmm. ask you, what, how would you describe for yourself in your own words what it's like to channel and in particular what it's like to channel Thoreau hmm well um, I think I say in the book you know it's it's I use the word channeling but this isn't a real um, traditional channeling to, to me a traditional channeling would be you know my soul steps out and somebody else's steps in and that's sure. not exactly what happened Um I've worked in law firms for years, and I've done transcription work. So that means you have a tape playing, and you're typing what's on the tape. My experience of this channeling, quote, um, is as if a tape is playing. I'm hearing these words in my head, and I'm typing them. And that came about for me with Thoreau. Um, as I talk about in the book, it, this is um, there's so much to tell. I sort of like jumping into the middle of the story and I want to go back and tell the beginning. But um, but when I was told that this communication with Thoreau would begin in the fall, I was shown a, um, like the Reverend Barbara, who I talk about in the book, Barbara Safransky from Salem, um, Mass. Um, she's excellent. And um, she, um, I went and had my first reading with her. And in that reading, she drew a picture of a computer monitor and she said, you know, I can just see these words are just flying across the screen. And she's like, you know, this is what it's going to be like when you start. And I, I'm i just sort of there baffled, <laughs> like, what's this, you know, what's going to happen? And then as it came around, she, she said, get ready, because in the fall it's going to start. And when it did, it was me sitting at the computer. And I had, um, I, she had also told me to keep a notepad by the bed, because you'd wake up with things to write down and, Uh, you know, all that. And so I I did that. And I had my notes and all that. And I thought, well, I'm going to sit down and start working on these notes. So I was typing those up. And then from there, I kind of branched into this third person sequence, which was basically, it's a description of Thoreau's birth at, at the house in Concord, where he was born on Virginia Road. And so I'm writing this third person piece. This is also in the book. And that at a certain point in that third person piece, the the third person changed and it became a first person. And I suddenly had the words, I am born Henry, or he said, David Henry Thoreau in this American town, in this place called Concord. And I literally like stopped, took my keys, hands off the keyboard and went, what the, <laughs> like, that can't be him. You know, I was like, this can't really be happening. This can't be him. And then I was just like, okay, keep going. Let's see what else. And we just went on for the next few hours, and it was first-person Henry. And, and so that's what is in the book. What you start with is, 
is that third-person sequence that morphed into first, and then I had Henry, and he was talking. And and it went on for the next pretty much two and a half years, you know, any time I sat down and connected. So how it works for me is sit down at the keyboard, you know, put my hands on the keyboard, close my eyes, wait a second, and, and he would be there. You know, he would start start up again. So what fun. what's it what's david what's Thoreau like oh i think he's fun i mean i've seen him be all kinds of different ways and the thing i would say about it too is that um you know this is um a person coming to me as Thoreau, as you know sort of uh, the way i understand, uh, i experience it and how i would describe it is he's manifesting that life to me you know like i i'm here as Thoreau, who i lived as but he is in his totality so he's uh, as a soul and a you know evolving spirit he's much bigger than than the single life of Thoreau but this is you know who he comes through as, as for the purpose of this book and for for what we're doing but he's um I think he's fun he's fun he's jovial he's you know he was fun to deal with I I enjoyed him it's like a light fun energy most of the time well, that's great I uh I just very curious about that. In terms of the book, how long mm-hmm. did it take you from start to finish to complete this project? Oh my. Well, to complete the project <laughs> it take it was like um almost twelve years, really. <laughs> it's so crazy wow. to think that that much time could have gone by. But this began in the fall of two thousand six. And you know, as I talk about in the book, it it really begins when um, my mentor at the Thoreau Society passed away, which is Brad Dean, and he had passed on January 14th. I saw him in my house in Cambridge um, on like 11 days later. So it was like the 25th, which was the one-year anniversary of my mother's death. I was actually trying to tune into her and standing at you know, this built-in shelves in the dining room where I had it was sort of my sacred space you know I have her picture I have have candles and things and I was taking her picture down because I was going to put a candle next to it on the table to commemorate the one year and and in that moment of trying to connect to her I suddenly connected to Brad and I hadn't seen him since the Thoreau annual gathering the summer before so you know at that point we, I, I say, as I say in the book, we had kind of ended on an awkward note. So uh, we were apologizing to each other. We were just connecting and saying things we needed to say. And then, you know, I, I try to tell people when, when you connect that way, it's not like I go into a full-fledged trance. But, I mean, you're definitely in a somewhat altered state of focus. And I was. And then I turned and I saw him. And I saw him putting his hands together kind of like a V formation above his head and then bringing them down. And I didn't know what he was doing. I thought, you know, that's, that's odd. Like, I, why am I seeing this? You know? And then, then he, um, then, you know, I kind of snapped out of it because, you know, truthfully I was running late for work and <laughs> working evening shift. And I was like, I gotta go, you know? So I just kind of snapped out of that. And then I ran out the door. Plus as I ran out, I'm saying to myself, why am I talking to Brad? Like I talked to mom and dad, you know, Brad's not dead. You know, why would he be dead? And then I went to work and I got on the internet and I was looking at obits for a neighbor who had died and up popped an obit for Brad and I knew at that point that what had happened was real. So that's what um, that's where it really began. And then I sparked uh, that sparked my visit to Barbara in Salem. And then her, you know, prediction. You know, she connected me with Brad right away. And she it was funny to watch her do the same V formation that I had seen him do. Uh, she did the same thing. And I just looked at her like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> she was really connected wow. to him too. And uh, you know, it, it, the thing with me is uh, I was raised in an environment where my mother was I, I think she had her own gifts and she was very much in denial of and so when I'd run to her and go you know well mom I saw this or I knew this or you know it was always you know this is a dream you're making it up you know so there's always this little play, you know tape playing in my head that says you know you're making this up this is all fake so I've had to deal with this all my life but um 
but anyway, so Barbara's there doing that, and, and then she says, you know, it's going to start in the fall. So I kind of went away like, wow, okay, well, let's just see what happens. But, you know, it, it and then it did. But <laughs> it's been a wild ride, but that was 2006. So I would say the channeling went on from the fall of 2006 into, into 2010, the beginning of 2010, but it was really slowing down in the 2009s. Um, and then it was at that point, you know, me asking myself, how do I present this material? What am I going to do with, like, I had 350 pages of channeled, quote, channeled stuff. And, you know, when you're sitting at your computer and your hands are on the keyboard and your eyes are closed and you're typing, I don't know, you know, I type really fast and, and they channel really fast. So, you know, sure. it, there were a lot of typos, you know, <laughs> so there were things that yeah, oh, had yeah. to be cleaned up. And it had to be edited. It had to be, you know, so all that had to take place. So, and then that question had to be answered: How do you present this material, and how do I tell my story in a way that's going to be believable? Because why would the be talking to me? And I knew everybody would ask that. So I would ask the, know, I would ask a different type of question. Why not? Hmm. <laughs> well, why I suppose why not is a good one. <laughs> um, but there are a lot of a lot of. I mean, there are a lot of people like me that and you that admire Thoreau, and that you know, why not talk to you? I mean, you're you're a medium, you're you know, that that kind of thing. So, you you know what I see unique about each of us, though, we each have our own path, and I think yours was meant to yeah. create this type of a work. And I believe yeah. very strongly, you know, you're the second guest on my show in the last couple of weeks who's made some incredible inroads with utilizing your your spiritual gifts and creating a work of art with it. I had Sarah Wiseman on a few weeks back. We did messages from divine and mm. she indicated that she spent her entire time with her, her books. She, she channels. And yeah. that's something unique to me. I, I've never created anything through that process, but to yeah. me, that's, that's just as valuable as someone like myself or another you know, medium going and reading for people and helping them heal or yeah. all this is healing in its own way. If you think about it, because what you're doing yeah. right now is you're creating something that's updated and presenting Thoreau from our modern day lens in a certain way, if you think about it. And I respect that yeah. a lot. I think that's great. Think about our society mm-hmm. right now, everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. And now you have an updated work and, yeah, I know there's going to be people who are skeptical. People are skeptical all the time. But, you know, what happens right. to skeptics? You show them a way that goes around the skepticism. Next thing you know, they're starting to scratch their heads, and they're thinking to themselves, it's a bigger world out there. Yeah. The universe is bigger than we expect well, it to be. Exactly. I, um, which is the row. One of the things I just want to say about that is he starts from the beginning. You know, they address the issue from the beginning. What's more important, the message or the messenger? And and they were really like, you know, it's the message that counts. And so that's what everybody needs to know. And so for all the skeptics, you know, it's like uh, it's not really important to me whether or not they believe, you know, the, my story or really necessarily believe it was his spirit you know, conveying this. But look at the message and look at what's there and how important that is. And I think that's that's what it's all about. So. One of the things I thought was interesting is, is somewhere I read in your book was his disdain for academics. Oh yeah. Can you tell? Can you tell the share that with the audience a little bit? Explain what I'm talking about with my question. Oh, he just you know he's like me. He just doesn't have a lot of patience with the academics. Um, let me see if I can find this one part that I really like. He talks about. Um, I don't. I don't have that flagged right now. Let me think about this. That's um, okay. Basically, he just doesn't have a lot of patience. He never did. I mean, he didn't in his life. You know, it was just sort of like, oh, it's just sort of silliness. You know, what what he wants you to essentially do, and I think it's the theme throughout his work, is just. Um, self-reliance, really, which is an Emerson thing, but really, he's saying, you know, if you want to be educated, go and educate yourself. Don't don't rely on institutional education to give you your education. You you need to get out there and learn. You need to read books that that speak to you, and you know, follow that that direction. You know, and that that really I, does it. Would I be going this. out on a limb? If I was to say, why are you looking for that? Would I be going out on a limb if I was to say that Thoreau would not very much like 
the way that we sit on our phones. We go on social media. We like certain things, and we check to see how many likes we have. Like, how would he feel about that based on Oh, he thinks we're ridiculous. No. But, you know, the the, the channeling was coming in sort of pre-everybody's complete and total obsession with with these devices, but he does talk about it. Um, You know, he... He says you you know you lose yourself in those devices if you spend your whole day looking at television or radio or or you're looking into your telephone all day you are you are like taking a part of yourself and and taking it away you know you're putting yourself into that device it's no longer you it's no longer yours you know you just you're sacrificing yourself for your own entertainment basically so so let's just let's just be fair to say we doubt that he'd be on Facebook or Instagram or any of other. He would not. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he says at one point, if he had had a television at Walden, if he had had these things, he might have stopped for a minute to listen, but then he would have become completely bored with it and, and turned away. You know, it, it just isn't his thing, but, and he doesn't see the value in it. So let me find the, yeah. Uh, he talks about the disharmony in man. There's that section. Well, and, and it's okay if you don't have the exact passage because I think from my vantage point, people should definitely pick up this book and read it from cover to cover. And I'm still about halfway through it, to be honest with you, because uh, yeah. of my busy schedule recently. But everything I've read in your book has really resonated with me. I, I it's hard, you know, I'm not with my schedule with what I do. I, I wish I had more time to sit and read <laughs> as yeah. much as I'd like to. But when yeah. I started your book, I have to admit that I sat there and really enjoyed thoroughly what you're presenting in this thing. I, I it's extremely well written, and it resonated with me because of the fact that you're you're laying out your own personal story, coming to the realization that you've had this gift for some time, and the expression of that gift and its unique yeah. way that you've been able to do this. One of the things that actually was impressive to me that I didn't know until we spoke on the phone that about a week or so ago was uh-huh. your prior experience with MUFON. I've had MUFON on the show a couple yeah. weeks back, being elected. Yeah. Um, and, and as a UFO experiencer, which is a term that's, that's a little new to me, um, I wanted to see if you could tell me a little about your early experiences, what exactly is a UFO experiencer first? Oh, that's just, you know, the term that is used to describe people who have had experiences with aliens and UFOs and all that kind of stuff. We are called experiencers. So. I have a, a really close friend of mine that I've gotten close to here in Florida that experienced something very similar in her earlier part of her life. And uh, if, whether or not you call it the classic alien abduction experience yeah, or some type of a uh, experience at all, um, what was your first recollection of that for you? Well, again, it was as a child having what would be the classic UFO abduction experience, which is, you know, a light by the window and waking up at night and seeing the little grays in the room and feeling the, um, actually feeling there's like a vibrational touch that you get when they, they touch you. I don't know why they vibrate, but they're, they, they vibrate. Um, and so I remember that sense uh, and sensation on my arms. And so that was, that was probably my earliest, but there, there was a particular incident that was so vivid and clear. And I was calling out to my mother and she'd come into the room and, you know, like it, it turned out to kind of be a bad scene because she was basically telling me, go back to sleep, you're making it up. And I'm going, no, you know, the grays were here. Um, but I know the grays were there. And so she, she, it always just stood out in my mind as the one thing that she couldn't tell me was, was not true. And so I remembered it for years. Um, there were other things that came up later. Can you hear me, Captain? Yeah. Yeah, something, uh, we had a technical difficulty for a second, but it just went back, so I just want to make sure. Go right ahead. I'm so okay. sorry. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, anyway, so, so I had that experience as a child and a few others, but basically I just grew up like a normal kid, I guess. And then I didn't really deal with that particular 
incident in a real way until I was in my 30s, and that was when I went to a MUFON meeting, and that was in Cambridge. Um, so this would have wow. been in the 90s. And when I went to that meeting, it was the first time I was meeting other people that were saying, you know, don't you know what you've had? And I was sort of there like, well, I, I kind of knew, you know, <laughs> but I hadn't really fully admitted it to myself that what I had had was that. And they were like, oh, yeah, you know, that's what you had and, you know, whatever. So that, that led to me becoming a member of a group. It was, uh, you know, just a group of experiencers that would get together and talk about these experiences. But um, it sounds kind of crazy because, you again, there's all these things that you experience that you just don't have proof for. But then when you get together with other people who've had the experience and then you have moments like um, one time we, were, we had like a meeting scheduled for a, I don't know, it was like a meeting scheduled for the next Sunday. And then the Sunday before, about 5 o'clock, my phone rang and I picked it up and there were just beeps. You know, it was just like these different tones, beep, 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 beep. You know, I'm thinking, well, that was odd. And I put the phone down. And then the next uh, week when I went to the meeting, one of the women suddenly spoke up and said, how many of you got that phone call last Sunday at 5 o'clock? <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I'm there like, what? Wow. You know, are you kidding me? And uh, and everyone had gotten it. You know, not everyone in the room, but, you know, a good number of us had gotten the same call. And she was basically saying they were – it was a tune-up, you know, for your implant. And, and you know, I'm so there like, like, okay. When yeah. you describe that, I think of the term alien robocall. <laughs> yeah, it was like an alien uh, robocall. <laughs> wow. But, that's crazy. And I, I used to get a lot not, of calls that's that not crazy, were very distant. You know, I could pick up the phone and there would be like a voice coming from like outer space. Um, so I don't you know. get those anymore, which is odd. But anyway, so, yeah, that was the kind of stuff that would happen. And then you'd go, well, now – there must be something to this, you know. <laughs> it must be real. We're all sitting around a room comparing our notes on this, and we're all we've all had the same experience, and now we've all had that phone call. So, geez, it must be real. Yes, you know, so it's that kind of stuff. So, there well, was another so um, many. the guy that was right. uh, sort of the leader of that group was not um, John Mack. He was doing another group in Cambridge that I wasn't a part of until much later, but. This group, the guy that was running it, he lived in Medfield, and um, we would go over and and ha- he would hold like the the um, hypnosis sessions and that in his basement. And I'd sit there and I'd look over at him. His name was Joe Nyman. I'd look at Joe and I'd look over his shoulder and I would see the face of an alien over his shoulder. And I'd think, mm. I have such a vivid imagination. <laughs> you know? I'd just tell myself I was nuts. And I'd leave, and then it was another thing. In another meeting, somebody said, "How many of you have seen the alien behind Joe's head in the basement?" <laughs> so anyway, that's all. It's that's just stuff like that. So you, what do me. you do with that material? You know, what what do you do with that when that occurs? Do you just keep telling yourself? It becomes it's one not of those. Yeah, it becomes one of those things like someone who questions me being able to do what I do. You just have to have an open mind to it in order to understand yeah. it. If it's not something you personally have experienced, but at the same time if someone's trying to explain it to you and they're passionate about it and there's a lot of other people similar sharing unique experiences with similarities, very, yeah. <laughs> very close to what you're describing, then there has to be something going there's on at that work that you can't on. just, you, you just yeah. can't excuse it. Um, yeah. So I did that for a while. Well, I was with the MUFON group and then I kind of stepped away from that for another period of, quite a long time and came back to it during the chandling right when I met up with you know so it's a good 10 years later and um and I met somebody through the chandling through the Thoreau Society that um was connected to John Max group in Cambridge and then that pulled me into that so what is what do you think Thoreau would think about your experiences with abductions with the UFO thing Oh, there's a whole chapter in here where he talks about the UFOs. You know, when we we had one of the things I I write about is um, we had when I was so uh, as everyone knows if they know who John Mack was they know that he passed away he was killed in in an accident in England. Um, so that I I don't have that in front of me. I believe it was early 2000. Maybe it was around 2002. Maybe um, anyhow. Um, so he had passed away before I then hooked up with the group what was sort of left over from his his you know experiencers and and his group in Cambridge 
and we were um we would have meetings at each other's homes and and uh, discuss our experiences whatever and so we were going to have a meeting at my house and this was in the midst of the channeling and um I the day before I'm running around and it was kind of a small it was a small townhouse in in Bedford that's where most of the channeling took place and uh so this was a very sacred space to me, and suddenly I was going to have like you know ten people over, and I'm, I didn't even have enough chairs in the house for these people. What was I going to do? So in the middle of all this, as I'm running around trying to prepare, I say to Henry and Brad, "Well, you know, you, well, I, particularly to Henry, pretty much Brad was around enough. I didn't have to invite him, but with Henry, I was like, well, you know, you're invited to the meeting, you know, ha ha." And then I just went about getting ready for it, and I forgot all about it. And then the next day, when everybody showed up and we're sitting around the small living room I um I suddenly became aware that like there's something was attracting my attention to the right of me and I looked over a couple times but I couldn't quite figure out what it was and then a friend of mine in the group was over to my left she looks over and then she says to me so what does the row look like and you know I was like I point out the picture that's you know over in a little frame on the bookshelf and uh and she says he's standing right there you know, so <laughs> that was another fun moment in the midst of all of this was uh, to have him join the group. But then later when he talked about it to me, well, well, the fun part was during the group then. they Of course, they all wanted me to channel him right now, right on the spot, which isn't exactly how it works. But so I managed to do that. And his message is pretty consistent with what he'd said all along, which is, you know, just trust, you know, learn to to trust your guidance from source, you know, to your own ability to trust source and do not believe everything you're being told. And so he was coming from a little more of a, you know, cautious place about the whole thing. But overall about the the meeting we were having and that, he was so excited to be there and be a part of it because it reminded him of like the meetings of the transcendentalists, you know, back in his day. He said you know, it, it was so much the same how they'd get together and they would just share their experiences. And and this group with um, John Mack's group out of Cambridge, these are very intelligent, very educated people. And they'd all had this experience in there. You know, I felt very privileged to be a part of that group. But as uh, I think, true, you know, go ahead. I was going to say, I think that's great. I um, I believe. Well, actually, I want to ask you something. Going back to the UFO thing for one more second. When you describe it as the grays, and I'm assuming you mean the aliens that are in your yeah. room as a child. Yeah. Recently, in the last 20 years, there's these, there's an image of shorter <laughs> humanoid-type beings with large eyes. They're gray. Yeah. Their head's, like, pointier. Is that, is that a pretty accurate image of what you remember experiencing? Well, when I say the grays, I mean that traditional image of an alien with the little, like the round head and the big dark eyes and, you know, mm-hmm. little little limbs. And, yeah, that's what I mean. So that was, but there, do you, there are various different types of aliens out there. And, I mean, I don't know if the grays are, are um, say, like robots or if they're, actual beings if you know what i mean like i don't know if they're sent sure. as ro- you know like if they're robotized or if they're they're a real thing i don't know but there are different types and and through through some of the regressions i did um i experienced other types that are more like they call the nordics which are more like humanoid in that so i had some experiences with those but you know those the things that came to me uh through the hypnosis and those sessions i i don't trust as much as I do just that pure experience that I remember having. So I kind of stick with that. So. I understand. I know you've also investigated the paranormal on several occasions. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see if you could tell us a little about those investigations and, and what you experienced. Well, as an um, investigator, I should say. Well, I just kind of, you know, playfully call myself an occasional ghost investigator. I kind of get sucked into it sometimes. But um, one of my favorite ones ended up in a book, which is kind of fun. Um, But I went up to Maine a couple years ago, and um, 
with my boyfriend at the time, and we were staying in Booth Bay Harbor in um, this old inn there. And, you know, we went down a ghost tour that night because I love to do that in, in any of the towns, we, you know, we would go to. And there, it's just fun. And you get history and you also get ghost stories. And it's, it's a fun thing to do. And the woman that was uh, leading that ghost um, uh, tour that night, she is married to Greg Latimer, who writes books on, you know, he's, he wrote this book that I'm in called Ghosts of the Booth Bay Region. Um, but she gave the tour that night and then as she's giving the tour, she starts talking about the ghosts that are in this inn that we're staying. (laughs) So we get back there and I said to him, uh, to my boyfriend, I'm like, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to just tune into my guides here, you know, my spirit posse and see what they'll tell me about the inn. And that's what I did. And I got some really accurate information, which was fascinating. Um, And I was able to prove it, um, initially just by going to Ancestry.com and pulling up the information on the owners of the inn and the history there. I mean, I had the name Abigail. I had information about a baby dying and just, you know, all kinds of very, you know, sort of specific things that I was able to confirm that had happened. And um, and then, so I had done that, and then I wrote about it and put it on my website. And then Greg Latimer, the ghost lady's husband, he read my posting and he called me, or he read my posting, and then he went to the family that uh, originally owned the inn and see to see if he could verify the information that I got. And he was able to verify a lot of it. So he called me up and asked if I'd like to be in his book. So, of course, you know, I was like, sure. So, uh, so that was a fun one. <laughs> so, um, so that was one of them that was really good and turned out to be very interesting. Um, Have you had the others, any other experiences? Well, the others primarily have to do with the old man's. Well, not not all, but I mean that I've written about, um, which the old man's in Concord is one of the oldest houses in in town. It's out by the North Bridge, where you know the Revolutionary War took place, and was the home of Emerson's grandparents, and also the home where Hawthorne lived after he and Sophia were married, and they lived there for a couple of years, and. Um, that is one of the most haunted houses around. And it's known to have, like, that there are ley lines out behind the manse. And um, I had, um, I was trying to think about this. I uh, the, the director of the manse at a certain point, he began to allow some of these ghost tour things to take place there. And so I had a friend of mine who uh, runs a I think it's called the Spirit Light Network, um, Steve Wilson. And um, he came over with his group, and we went through the inn one night and, and, and uh, you know, just kind of did some investigating. It was all quite interesting. But I've, I wrote about that and put it up on the website, and it has gotten a lot of a lot of interesting responses to it. Um, but it was it was quite, you know, intriguing. Um, I had I went back there after I think this was after that took place, and uh, with another he was having another the director there meeting um, another group go through, and um, during that night I was kind of sort of sitting in on some of the sessions, and we were in uh, what was the um, study where Hawthorne had written and Emerson had written uh, Nature in that room and and. Uh, uh, we were sitting around a circle, and I was poked, <laughs> poked by a ghost. I had never been poked by a ghost wow. before, so that was quite intriguing. I was like, okay, sure. well, I've just been, you know, physically touched by a ghost. So that the um, there's a lot of activity there. So what um going back to to Thoreau for a minute. What do you feel his primary message that he was seeking to channel through you in this work um, that you'd like to share with our audience? I think that um, I think he gets frustrated by, um, you know, things like when he's called um, an anarchist. You know, he's not an anarchist. He was never an anarchist. And if you carefully read Civil Disobedience, he states clearly in it you know, that he's not an anarchist. You know, what he wants is a, a conscious government. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't want no government. He wants a government of conscious people. He wants people to wake up. And so 
so that's his primary message. Again, it comes back to that getting in touch with that inner power, that connectedness to spirit that we all have just innately, and allowing ourselves to be guided by that divine light and not by the majority, not by, you know, the politicians, the, you know, educators, the whoever, you know, is in power or whoever, you know, whatever. But, you know, trust in your own ability to find truth. And I think that's that's what he's, you know, hoping for is to redirect people to that message that is there and has always been there in his work. I think that that's actually a very strong message, especially with the day and age that we're living with (laughs) where truth is a, is a quest we all seek. And it's important to try to decipher through various messages in order to to, to understand what resonates best within yourself. Yes. In terms yeah. of writing the book, what was your greatest challenge that you found that you had experience getting yourself to complete this working and going through the process itself? Well, again, you know, it was just that big question, how do how do I present this work in a way that, you know, isn't going to just put everybody to sleep, you know, or, you know, whatever. I mean, it just like a part of me wanted to, from the beginning, just go, okay, this is what he said, colon, and just, you know, drop it in, just, you know, hole like it was, you know, like I got. <laughs> well, that would have really been And then drop bad. the mic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Be like, there you go. You know, take it away. Um, but, you know, that just would not have worked because uh, it was just, it wasn't coherent enough. And uh, uh, so it was just really making those choices, what stays, what goes, how do we present this? And, and, you know, it's interesting because as I was going along, um, the, I, I started adopting these paragraph titles, which is really kind of funny because I wasn't, you know, I'm like, why are we doing this? You know, it's like every now and then I'd stop and ask them, why are we doing this this way? Why are we, you know, and it was really just for ease of being able to get through the information. But I ended up, um, you know, like, for instance, as you go through the book, there, it's sort of like, you know, we, we look at Walden. So I put together his remarks about Walden kind of into one chapter and then remarks about, you know, idolatry into another chapter, you know, that kind of thing. So things are separated out. They didn't come through that tidy. You know, the channeling wasn't that tidy. Um, so that's what the work was, you know, really, like how, how to sort this out, how to present and uh, and I think that it worked. I think it works the way I did it. I mean, I you know I'm not unhappy with it. I mean, the thing about writing and for me, you know, writing and rewriting, I could still be writing this book. You could check with me in ten years. I could still be writing this book. You know, at a certain point, it's like sure. somebody has to take it out of my hands, you know, <laughs> because um, I just want to rewrite and rewrite and really make it as clean as I can. And um, at a certain point, you have to realize that the reader is probably going to spend about five minutes on that page you just spent five years on. You know? <laughs> so it gets a little crazy. So I try to remember that when I'm writing. At a certain point, you have to say, that's it. I'm done. This is a book. What do you think Thoreau would think of spiritual bookstores, metaphysical places? Oh, he's, you know, I write about that, too. He, he you know, because... When I was, uh, you know, when I first moved out here to uh, Massachusetts, and I, I was living in Arlington initially and then Cambridge, but there was the a Unicorn Bookshop was the spiritual center, and I loved that place. And as I wrote about it, and, um, you know, I was kind of, you know, like putting together that side of my story in the book, he was very favorable on all of it. You know, he's basically saying, I wish we'd had these kinds of places in my day um, because they are so powerful and such a great resource. Um, you know, for places well, my to go. Places with, to go to. You know, yeah. It's like places to go with like-minded people and, you know, all that. So there is a, a chapter where he talks about that and where I talk about the unicorn and how important it was to me just to have that place. I also talk about Art Bell and, or, you know, I, I talked about, I think I did in this, some one of these books I talk about Art Bell. Anyway, um, and, and I would say now how important he was and that sort of back into my 90s story about going to MUFON and that is that that was also a period of time when 
uh, actually, one of my sisters, you know, said, you know, have you listened to Art Bell? And I was like, well, no. So I started listening. And, you know, it was like finally, at last, you know, people who understood what I did, you know, people who had experienced things that I had experienced were on that show talking about it. And, again, it's just like huge confirmation, huge, you know, validation. And, you know, I, I can't, you know, that Coast to Coast AM has been, just wonderful for that I think for so many people that finally you know we're talking about the stuff that we couldn't even talk about before without everybody thinking we were nuts so well that's why I think I think we're on the cusp of a of a revolution when it comes to the spiritual understanding of things within our society that people are with the advent of the internet and with everything that's been going on I feel like there's a greater acceptance that's been developing um yeah. People who have certain abilities or have experiences between either with MUFON or something regarding, you know, UFOs or the paranormal or having the ability to speak to the other side, you know, I I think there's definitely something going on that's at work that's very positive myself from seeing this. Yeah, it's it's very positive. It's transformative for so many people. If I think about the way it was when I moved out here in the 80s. I mean, it's a different world. I mean, all, we didn't have all the things that have now happened. You know, there, John Edward had not yet come on the television talking to the dead, you know, or all the many Correct. shows that followed him. None of that had happened yet. And so, you know, when you were somebody like us and like me at that time, you know, walking around going, well, you know, I just came out of Michigan where I was working for an oncologist. And, oh, by the way, several of those patients came to see me after they died. I couldn't really (laughs) tell a lot, you know, tell that to a lot of people. (laughs) Like getting seriously, you know, looked at. But, um, But that was the truth. And, you know, so that was the, that was a different world back then. So I'm happy that that's changed. That's like me when I was reluctant about 15 years ago and I was working and traveling for my job and Mm -hmm. I was on an airplane and someone sitting next to me is grieving their daughter passing away. And I started picking up their daughter as the mother sitting next to me and she's grieving her. And I didn't know whether or not to say something or keep my mouth shut. And finally I just hinted around it. And I found yeah. out the information I was coming up with accurate. It was <laughs> it was just quite a thing being 32,000 feet in the air with this person and wondering whether or not I should reveal more or just keep my mouth shut. <laughs> yeah. So I, I understand. I understand. Yeah. Um, That's cool. Have you had other people that you've picked up on similar to Thoreau since finishing this work? And if so, who? Um... Yes. I actually talk about it in the book that I tune into Emerson a little bit too, which was sort of inevitable with, with the Thoreau around. Um, so that was fun. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I do, I do pick on, pick up on people. Um, and any, fam- any, anyone famous? I hesitate to say. <laughs> There's still that little tape running in me going, you're crazy. Um, but I will, you know, I, I, I tend to pick up on, uh, things ahead of time. Like I'll, I'll, and I don't always, you know, register it quickly enough to be able to say, Hey, this is going to happen. And then it happens. I just, something will happen and I'll go, Oh gosh, I knew that was coming. And, you know, it's like, I, I'm not uh, quick enough to write it down and prove to everybody that I knew it was coming. But, um, anyway, so Prince, I actually felt I connected with Prince the night he died. I don't know why. I don't know why. Um, that was one, but not, not a huge, big, long thing, but that was one of them. I, I, I felt like I connected to. So. That's so interesting. Yeah. Have you with your, I know you're in the legal field, like I'm a lawyer, you're in the legal field yourself. Have you had anyone in your professional life learn about what you are talking about on the show this evening? Uh, well, I mean, they know. They 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 know a little bit. It's funny because when Honor and Concord came out, I um I took it into work and I had it at the desk. I'm like, hey, I'm a writer, you know, buy my book. And uh, so that was fun. And you know, Honor and Concord is a very different kind of 
book and it but in it I I it's also a memoir and I'm also talking about myself as a psychic living in Concord. So I'm talking about things like the night I could hear my cat talk. <laughs> like, um, it was like you know just everyday normal parts of my life where I'm suddenly I was sitting at my desk one night at like one o'clock in the morning and uh, I'm in the living room and the cat's in the bedroom on the bed and I suddenly heard a woman's voice say, "Mommy, where are you?" And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, and this is, I mean, Concord, there's, it's dead quiet. Nothing's going on in Concord at 1 a.m. And I mean, it's totally silence in the house. And I heard this woman's voice. And the next thing I know, the cat came to zipping in, stop, came to a stop at the side of my chair, looked up at me. I looked down at her and I was like, oh my God, it was her. It was her, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then, um, a few months later, it was winter time, and and when I had gotten home late, um, I let her out on the porch, and I went into the other room, getting you know ready for bed, whatever. And I suddenly hear a woman's voice again, and she's saying, "Come here, mummy, come here, mummy." And I'm like, "Okay, here we go." And I go in the kitchen, and I look over, and sure enough, here she is. She's batting at the door, trying to get in, and it was her again. So I don't know, but, you know, when she passed, which she was like 20, almost 20, when she um, passed, and she passed in January of of uh, 2012, and um, that night she passed, I heard that voice again, and I saw her as a young woman saying goodbye to me wow. when she was leaving. So um, I just tell people, I think that we don't know who's, you know, who's the spirit that's in that dog or cat that you love so much, and, you know, don't you know, don't underestimate the power of the connections we have from life to life and, you know, how the spirit can manifest, you know. Definitely. We only have so. a couple of minutes left, if you can believe this. Uh, <laughs> this, this hour has flown by. <laughs> I was going to take a, a, mi- a minute break at 30, but <laughs> we've gotten so into the, the substance I'm of our sorry. talk that I so no, it's good. I, I, I feel like a great, episode is when you don't even realize you're running out of time. Um, <laughs> That's good. It's like two people, two old friends getting together and, and catching up and just talking. And I think yeah. it flows naturally. And that's why I really enjoy having you on the show tonight. A couple of questions Great. I want to ask, and I think I'm going to limit it to one or two at this point, because we have about three minutes left, but okay. if I'll try to talk. I am listening. If I'm listening to this episode and I am thinking, wow, someone actually channeled Thoreau and wrote this book called the Thoreau Whisperer. And I know your name is Catherine McIntyre. Where would yeah. I go to find this book to order it? Uh, anywhere. I mean, it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes & Noble and uh, Powell's. It's all over the place. You could go into any bookstore and ask for it, and they can pull it up and, and get it. Um, I have a website called theconqueredwriter.com, and it okay. is dedicated to the words wisdom and enduring spirit of Thoreau. He is the conquered writer, not me. I like to make sure to tell people that that was started back when Honor Concord came out. I would say you, you're the one that did the labor of this. Even though he helped you, you did the labor of it. So I would say it's as <laughs> much true. yours as his. Well, this, <laughs> no, I meant the you know the Concord writer is uh, you know the references okay. to Thoreau and not to me. No, I, as far as the Thoreau whisper, this is a collaboration. This is Brad and Henry and I together, and you know primarily. It's it's Thoreau's words in, in in the channel portions, but I mean it was a real collaboration of the three of us coming together to make this happen. So, and you know what's you know I think it's interesting. I think this is a new genre of writing, <laughs> spiritual motivated writing or something. I don't know. There should be a section in Barnes and Noble that has this type of uh, genre. So I feel mm-hmm. like it's a, a very interesting, compelling. Um, Thing. I have a caller that's called in. Do you want me to try to take that call and see okay. if they have a question? Hold on a second. Sure. Okay. Hmm. I'm trying to take the call. Something's going on with this information tonight. Hmm. It looks like we're not going to have the success of uh, something's going on with technical difficulties with with the show this evening and I apologize for that. We're just going to keep it to where we are for the minute or so that's left. Um, In my opinion, I am excited that we're able to have this episode and go through this information because to me, 
educating people about Thoreau in our modern age give a lot of insight into what I feel like society is grappling with, which is understanding the truth right now. Mm-hmm. And knowing your true self, getting to the basics, you know, unplugging. Yes, unplugging. Separating yourself from all the distractions that modern society imparts on us mm-hmm. uh, with our with our technology, our smartphones and our tablets and our laptops and everything else. Mm-hmm. And I feel like your message is more important and more critical now than ever before. And that, that to me is very, very important. If I yeah. was to ask you before you leave the show, what else would you want people to know? Well, I mean, what you just said, I mean, he, that's really his intent with this book is to make people slow down, stop and look again, you know, and, and I think we wanted to do it in the way that this is done here because, you know, a lot of people aren't like what you described in high school. I think most people will go, oh, God, I remember when I had to read you know, Walden in high school. It nearly killed me. That's what most people say about Walden. Um, so you actually can, you know, proved my theory, which is people who are spiritually inclined get him instantly. But um, – but most people don't. And so I think that he's endeavoring to, you know, kind of put this message out again in a new way and hopefully reaching more people. But he's also saying go back to his work. And if you are spiritually aware and awake and you consider yourself this, you're going to have no problem at all reading Walden and reading his other stuff and understanding what he's talking about. And the more people that really get that message and that are, are awake and aware and all that, the better off. Are you looking for that perfect gift to express your appreciation for your loved one or bestie? Well, look no further. Royal Susie offers one-of-a-kind designs with genuine high-quality crystals, stones, and the most precious of metals that are guaranteed to satisfy the urges of your... Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show featuring Jason Zuck. Jason has been an intuitive psychic medium since 2004. This show is Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show featuring Jason Zuck. Jason has been an intuitive psychic medium since 2004. This show is a variety of topics relating to... Uh, Give me one second. I just paused that. I wanted to thank you for whatever reason this is is having technical difficulties, and I apologize for that. That's On On the last note that we have with each other. I think what you just said, and I want to resonate that and in terms of uh, reiterate that, I should say, everything that you just said in the closing part of your statement regarding getting back to the basics and if you're a spiritual person, understanding Thoreau, I feel that that is critical and very important. I want to ask you, you've done two books. You've come on our show tonight. What do you have coming up in terms of any projects for yourself? Well, I'm going to write a novel next, as far as that goes. But right now, my project is uh, marketing and getting, you know, getting the word out there and trying to get, you know, get people to consider reading this book. Um, but my next book is going to be a great. novel. So. I'm excited to find out about it when you do actually get to work on your next project. And please keep us in mind and okay, let us know when you get to that point so that we could have you back on the show again to discuss your, your newest and greatest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I definitely um, will. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on the show. And I, I am just so excited about finishing the rest of your book. I'm going to finish it and okay, I will let great. you know my opinion. I'm already impressed. You won me over already, but I just, I, I just wanted to tell you, thank you so much for coming on and sharing everything with us this evening. Okay. Thank you. I, I had a good time. Okay. It was great. All right, thank <laughs> Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. Thank everybody for tuning in. And uh, as was previously shared, Ms. McIntyre's book is available. It's a unique genre. I think it's something that is up and coming. For those of you who do like Thoreau, this book presents an opportunity for you to see his work from a fresh set of eyes. Um, it's it's definitely great. Catherine has been very compelling coming on our show this evening. Um, very grateful to have her on. Before we leave for Royal Susie, 
which is for boho jewelry and crystal and gem decor. And I will play that first before we conclude. Are you looking for that perfect gift to express your appreciation for your loved one or bestie? Well, look no further. Royal Susie offers one-of-a-kind designs with genuine high-quality crystals, stones, and the most precious of metals that are guaranteed to satisfy the urges of your inner king or queen. Each piece is handcrafted with love and is sure to inspire and captivate all. Indulge yourself by visiting Royal Susie's website at www.royalsusie.com for splendid items like agate bookends, impressively crystal-studded bottle stoppers, and beautifully handcrafted nightlights that will charm every room in your home. Royal Susie's featured collections will truly delight your guests and always make them feel welcome. Any questions? Contact Royal Susie directly by email at royalsusiedesigns at yahoo.com. That was a ad from Royal Susie, and I encourage all of you to check out Royal Susie. If you use the promo code socialpsychic15, you will get 15% off your next purchase. And once again, that website's royalsusie.com. There's an Etsy shop as well for Royal Susie, which is royalsusiejewelry.etsy.com. Thank you for tuning in this evening. I look forward to joining you again next week, and uh, I look forward to uh, receiving any input, any questions you may have. Feel free to contact us at info at D, the letter D, socialpsychicradio.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook, and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind, embrace your paradigms, and know that the universe is always yours to explore. With the Baker's Plus Card, it's easy to get lower than low prices. For the win! Earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus Card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric House Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music.